Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.41 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 22nd of September, 2021. This is episode 481 of Bitcoin, and I've gone and done it. Got myself a Patreon. I, I, I got a message from a guy on LinkedIn. He said, look, dude, I just, I just you know, I would feel more comfortable because I'm just not comfortable with lightning. And I know you're asking for support and streaming saps and he's streaming sats and I want to support you, but I'm just not, I'm just not there on that one. And I, I go, well, you know, would a Patreon help? And he said, you know, basically we kind of went back and forth a little bit and said, yes. And he's not the only guy I got like a DM in Twitter that was, you know, asking me, cause I've, I've been asking like the last couple of days for some help. Um, and you guys are, are, are coming up to the plate, which is, you know, well, fucking ballers for one. Uh, but, uh, much appreciated for the other. Um, so I went and, you know, <clears throat> got into Patreon and funny story. I, Apparently already had a Patreon and I completely forgot about it. And what's better, what's even better is that my Patreon has earned me $56. <laughs> why, you may ask. I'll tell you why. I started this Patreon as a joke in response to Patreon, right? And I, this was back when I was working at, at Texas Tech and I was working in a room full of guys that Basically all, you know, well, we did a lot of work, but while we were doing our work, we were basically cutting up and making each other laugh all goddamn day. <coughs> and uh, we were talking about Patreon because it was fairly, you know, fairly new at the time. It wasn't that new, but it was kind of new. And somehow or another, I got it in my head that I was just going to spin up a Patreon page just as a joke for the guys in, in the office and start making memes and stuff like that. And so I did, and I sent them, I sent them the um, the link to the page, and one of my friends, one of my friends that I was working with, became a patron that day for one dollar a month, and and I had put up like I, I think I, like I put up a total of three memes, and that was the thing. It was like, <clears throat> what what is it that you do? And I was like, I deploy memes, and this is, remember guys, this is back in 2016. And I, you know, we all laughed about it. He was giving me a dollar and stuff like that. And I, you know, I just completely forgot about it. And again, 2016, just think about it. So I open up Patreon and I start like, you know, uh, trying to get in. And they said, oh, well, we recognize that email. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. I had a Patreon back in the day. So I did email recovery for my password, got in and lo and behold, my friend Kenny is still a patron after all this time. And for every month, he's been paying me a dollar for basically nothing, doing bupkis. And I laughed my freaking ass off because 56 bucks is just chilling out in my account. And of course, as an American, the first thing in my head was, Jesus, do I have to pay taxes on this? <laughs> so I get, I get in touch with Kenny and say, look, man, you know, it was all fun and games back in the day, but dude, you're giving me a dollar of your money a month for, for essentially nothing. And I'm, I'm spinning this thing back up for uh, the Bitcoin and podcast. And uh, I need to give this money back to you. <laughs> he's just, he goes, you know what? No, he's like, I want to support your podcast too. You keep it, you buy me a beer. And I'm like, son of a bitch, man. You know, so the, even though it's only 56 bucks and it's only a buck a month and it's been going on since 2016, you know, Kenny, I got to tell you, man, that's some heartwarming shit. Honestly, 
it, I, I, you know, I know it ain't much, but um, it still does mean a lot, and uh, I appreciate it. I also appreciate Dave Nivison, um, <clears throat> who became a patron um, at $5 a month already. I'm blown away. This is the only two patrons that I have, but I'm still blown away because my tier starts at, you know, I only have one tier. It's $1 a month. You can get the show for free anyway off of any podcast app because I'm just not going to lock down the RSS feed. I'm just doing this to, you know, to gin up some support, you know? So to all the guys out there or both of my patrons out there, thank you. I mean, on, on, you know, 9-22-2021, I have two patrons already and wow, six bucks a month. And I'm not laughing about that, by the way, that's $6 a month. You know, if, if, if I had, you know, let's say 1000 people that was paying a dollar a month just in support, that's a thousand bucks a month. No, you can't really live on it, but oh my God almighty, that helps. You know, there's, there's that whole notion of 10,000 true fans and at a buck a month, that's 10 grand a month. You know, that's, that's not only livable, that's good money. There's people that would kill for that kind of money on a monthly basis. So anyway, the patron, the patron page is up. It does not look good. Okay. Because I, I just kind of cranked it back up yesterday. I'm I'll work on it and see about some other things and maybe put in a $2 tier for, um, videos of cooking because apparently people really like those and I don't know, you know, I just want to play around with it. But anyway, the, uh, page let me see the um oh good lord what is the page <laughs> see i should have had all this shit ready man and i just don't hold on for a sec yeah it's patreon.com forward slash bitcoin and podcast all one word that's patreon.com forward slash bitcoin and podcast hey look if you want to throw me a buck you know, I don't really want to do like, you know, a $10 or $50. I, I'm not going to go there. I'm really, I really don't. Unless I've got something horrendously kick-ass to offer at 50 or 10 bucks, you know, a page. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. So um, <clears throat> anyway, I just want, want to let you know that the Patreon page is up. And if you want to go support me, I would appreciate it. That's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin. And let's get into the news, bitches. Um, let's see, where are we at? Evergrande. Yes, Evergrande. The Evergrande sell-off and Bitcoin. This is Dylan LeClaire writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Let's see what kind of fear and loathing in Las Vegas we have now. <clears throat> After covering the Evergrande real estate group last week in Daily Dive number 60, our biggest concerns with the increased contagion spread to the Chinese economy and global markets. Since then, we've seen a tidal wave of Chinese market sell-offs in the real estate sector, a rise in China bond yields, and a larger S&P 500 correction unfolding at the same time. China junk bond yields continue to climb past their March 2020 highs at 14%. Holy shit while the Hang Seng Index fell an additional 8.35% since September 7th. So far, the largest contagion spread impacts show up in China's overleveraged real estate sector with equity and bond sell-offs happening almost or amongst other top priority developers like Country Garden Holdings and Sunak China Holdings. The next level of contagion spread would show up in the Chinese banking sector amidst a liquidity crunch. So on Friday... The People's Bank of China injected 90 billion won or $14 billion U.S. of funds the most since February to provide short-term liquidity into the banking system. Yeah, I think you're probably going to end up doing more than that. Shares of Sinic Holdings Group Company, a Shanghai-based real estate developer, plunged nearly 90% on massive volumes. Those volumes were approximately 14 times above average trading volume before trading was halted. In an article published by Bloomberg, Philip C., director and head of Hong Kong and China Property Research at Bocom International Holdings Company Limited, said the following, quote, It's the same story as everywhere else. Investors are concerned about the liquidity. I think they are most likely some margin calls on some of the major shareholders by looking at Sinex 
stock price pattern this afternoon, which is basically a giant red dildo to the downside. So the contagion in, in China is staying in China for the time being. It will only be a, it will it will only be a very short matter of time before we understand how far the contagion spreads. If it spreads over the borders of China, the question will be what is the contagion spread from the first person that's holding corporate paper on Sinic, Evergrande, and what other, you know, whatever other real estate developers are going to go the way of the dodo over there in China. And, you know, it serves them right, honestly. You're, if, you've in, if you've invested in companies that are building ghost cities that remain vacant for years and years and years and still still have like 1. million, you know, 1.4 million units of housing that you have yet to build, that you hold contracts on, that have been paid for, for Chinese people. The question is, what WTF is that, man? You built whole ghost cities that nobody's inhabiting, and yet you cannot build the 1.4 apartments that you have contracts on that people who want those apartments paid you for. Dude, you deserve everything you get. The problem here is we're probably going to feel it outside the realm of China. To what extent is the question? I'm just saying, you guys be ready for this shit, man. I'm serious. You guys be, you guys be ready, dude, because otherwise it's going to be a real surprise, <clears throat> a real surprise uh, steak dinner for you if you do not get yourself prepared. Now, moving on. Bitcoin is a secret plan B for your kids. A father of three explains why he's saving in Bitcoin for their future from Bitcoin Magazine. Erwin Hemi is writing this one. I'm not a worrier and have a quite relaxed kind of life. My wife and I both run our own business. She has a small beauty salon and I have a home office where I consult small to medium enterprises about subsidies. We don't work full time. I work about 32 hours per week and my wife works around 20 hours. So we also have lots of spare time to enjoy life. In the end, that is what we are working for, to have a nice life together with our three children. But for the last two years, I've been really concerned about the future of my three kids, 11, 16, and 18, and I'll try to explain the worries. I'm a bit over 40 years old. My wife and I have lived together since 1998. At the start, we had a rental house, and around 2010, we bought a nice house with enough space in it and around it. Buying a house at the moment was easy. Banks were eager to lend money, even on a single earner income. The mortgage we pay is low, around $900 monthly. Because of the low mortgage, we also have enough money for our other monthly payments, groceries, clothes, leisure, and so on. But lately, I see prices rising an insane amount. Groceries have risen by over 15%, energy by 10 gas and oil by 20 etc., etc., etc. This is actually not a huge problem for us at present. But the trend is quite concerning. Now I come to my concern about my children's future. Will they be able to buy or even rent a house? Prices of houses in my region are up 20% since last year, and the expectation is that they will climb another 10 to 20%. The market is overheated because of the money printing and investors desperately buying real estate, which drives up prices more and more. Banks are willing to lend money, but you must have double income and the mortgage is sky high. Renting a house is almost impossible. There is a seven-year-long wait list, if you're lucky, and the rent prices are at least 25% higher than a mortgage. In the meantime, inflation is rising and rising, but wages are not trending up with it. So in reality, this means that prices for daily needs and monthly costs are going up, but your paycheck isn't. My children are basically sentenced to find a, a partner and work full-time, at minimum, to achieve the same life standard as we currently enjoy, even then, making it will be really hard. I can't imagine how this situation will be in the next five to ten years when my kids leave our house. Well, well I'm going to talk about that here in a second. Let's uh, that this is me talking. Um, let's let's re-examine what leaving the house means in the future and what it used to mean in the past. Until that time, we've made the agreement that they save money and we pay for all their necessary expenses. Most people think that's normal, but it isn't. <clears throat> In the 70s and 80s, having both a working mom and dad was not normal. That was special. But now it's odd if one of them doesn't work. And this makes me kind of angry. The whole inflation and money printing since the debasement of the dollar in 1971 is the main reason for this. 
Innovation should make everything cheaper, but all of that has been absorbed by inflation. There are some great podcasts, for example, Guy Swan, about that subject. So here's my plan B for my kids. I've been stacking a serious amounts of sats for them since 2018. My goal is to stack one full Bitcoin for each of them. I believe that this single Bitcoin is, for them, the way out of the system and their life without having to bear the financial and even social burden of where our economy appears to be heading. I think that within 10 years, a Bitcoin can be collateral for a mortgage and you can pay off the mortgage with the price action of Bitcoin. To be clear, it is not financial motives that I stack sats for my kids. They don't have to get rich with it. My motive is to give them a chance of a life that they can arrange as they want and not how to simply fit into the system. I used the word secret in the headline of my article. This plan B has been discussed with my wife and she supports it. <clears throat> she also wanted to inform our kids about this, but I thought <clears throat> it was better not to do it just yet. They must focus on their study and social life. The price action of Bitcoin could make them nervous, distracted, or perhaps worse, lazy. So I hope my plan B works out fine and maybe inspires you to make your own plan B for your kids. All right, Erwin, good, good good points in this and and i i wholeheartedly agree however there's an issue here yes you are correct in the 70s and the 80s it was it was highly unusual for both parents to work to be able to afford all the things <clears throat> have a house buy groceries you know clothe the kids and all that stuff um you know but but what was what was also um what was also usual in those times is the expectations that the kids would move halfway across the country and you would see them ever again, probably only on Christmas and Thanksgiving and, and whatnot like that. Because in the tens, in the 1890s, you know, the 1910s, the 1920s, the 1930s, hell, even the 1940s, you know, families did not move that far away from each other when they did. So, and there was so much more farming going on that the kids would actually hang around the farm, you know, and build their own house. That's how they got a house. They built their own fucking house. They just happened to build it on the farm and the families would all farm together. Not every single one. Clearly there was people that, that didn't do that, but the great guts and feathers of America was built on the backs of, of American farming. And American farming was built on the back of keeping your family together and not letting everybody drift to the wind like, you know, like feathers flying around and, and just landing, you know, miles and miles and hundreds of miles away from each other. And I believe wholeheartedly that this has ripped the fabric of America apart at the seams by not, you know, by telling your children, you have, like, there's several narratives that are going on here. You have to move. At 18, you got to get the fuck out of the house. You have to go to college, right? And nowadays it's to go to college, you've got to, you know, pull out, you know, $250,000 worth of student loan debt to be able to afford it because of money printing. And then it was the expectation was, we'll only see our kids at Christmas and maybe Thanksgiving and, and stuff like that. Man, talk about being fucking poor. Have fun staying poor when your family is... Never together, ne never together on more than one occasion, you know, more than a couple of occasions a year. Have fun staying poor. If you want to be rich, that's one thing, but you will be unwealthy. I mean, not always. This is not always the case. I'm just saying that if, if your mindset is to just get rich, then you will have fun staying unwealthy because wealth and riches are different. They are different. The wealth that you have is the wealth that you have in your family, the land that you sit on, those types of things, the ability to carve out what it is that you want to carve out under your own circumstances, the ability not to, have, not to want the Lambo, the ability not to want to go to Disney World every year and spend $10,000, the ability to not give a shit about getting on some boat and floating around for a while while you drink $8 beers and spend another $15,000. This kind of shit, I mean, if you want to do it, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm not going to call you a polluter and, oh my God, your, your carbon footprint, your frequent flyer and all that shit. Yeah, that's, that's coming, by the way. I saw a headline about that last night. 
<clears throat> uh, what I'm saying is, what's your definition of wealth? What is your definition of rich? Is it possible that those definitions have been given to you by somebody who does not give a flying rat's ass about you, your future, your family, your life? Is it possible? Yeah, damn skippy, it's possible. In fact, that's been the messaging since the 70s. If you got that messaging as a younger person or as a child, it's going to take a world of pain to be able to break out of it because you have to understand that rich is not wealth. Please, if you can get that in your head and you start saying, how can I keep my family closer together? No, they don't have to live in the same house. They don't have to live in mom's basement. But how is it that you can, how is it that you can keep your family together and rebuild the fabric of not only your family, but as families do it more and more, rebuild the fabric of the nation because that's where we lost it. We got divided, we got conquered, and we're feeling the effects of it right now. Just saying, just saying, J.P. Morgan, Deutsche Bank, they both oppose strict Basel rules for banks holding Bitcoin. Nam Silas has got it for Bitcoin Magazine. Three months after global banking regulators proposed strict new rules for traditional financial institutions seeking Bitcoin exposure, J.P. Morgan and Deutsche Bank and other banking giants opposed what would require them to set aside $1 in capital for each dollar of BTC that they own. The strict rules were proposed in June by the Basel Committee for Banking Supervision, which is a group of regulators from the world's most prominent financial centers. I think that means the world's best thieves. However... The Global Financial Market Association, a forum for banks that includes J.P. Morgan and Deutsche, published together with five other industry associations a letter on Tuesday that pushed against the new regulation. We find the proposals in the consultation to be so overly conservative and simplistic that they, in effect, would preclude bank involvement in crypto asset markets, the associations wrote in the letter to the committee, according to the report. <coughs> The committee's proposed regulations indeed demonstrated an attempt of regulators to stop or at least disincentivize banking institutions from getting Bitcoin exposure. While bank exposure to Bitcoin are currently limited, the Swiss-based committee said in June their continued growth could increase risk to global financial stability if capital requirements are not introduced. The proposal came amid strong pushback from developing countries against Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Central banks of major economies worldwide have been outspokenly negative about such assets while designing their own. <laughs> European Central Bank chief uh, and convicted felon Christine Lagarde recently came into the spotlight for saying that Bitcoin and cryptos are not currencies. Full stop. The head of the ECB and convicted felon later praised her own central bank digital currency in an attempt to drive investors away from Bitcoin and into her soon-to-be-developed digital euro. The markets are not buying such narratives, however. Besides retail investors, institutional investors, corporations, and banks have also demonstrated an increased appetite for Bitcoin exposure in the past year. As global central banks' monetary policies erode the purchasing power of those holding their currencies, investors gravitate towards harder assets. <clears throat> in the latest rebuttal, the biggest bank in the U.S. and Europe have pushed back against increased regulatory scrutiny which, in their view, would backlash. The Basel Committee, or Basel, whatever you pronounce it, which includes the Federal Reserve, the ECB, and other major central banks, technically doesn't enforce rules itself, but sets minimum standards by which regulators worldwide are expected to abide. Quote, the committee said in June that banks should apply a 1,250% risk weight to Bitcoin which it said is similar in effect to the deduction of the asset from capital, according to the Wall Street Journal report. Quote, if a bank holds $100 of Bitcoin exposure, it would give rise to risk-weighted assets of $1,250, which when multiplied by the minimum capital requirement of 8%, results in setting aside at least $100, end quote. In response, the letter signed by the Financial Services Forum, the Futures Industry Association, the Institute of International Finance, the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, the Chamber of Digital Commerce, and the Global Financial Markets Association said that such a high-risk weight 
wasn't necessary for Bitcoin. What does this mean? This means that retail and larger retail banks that are smaller, but also retail banking associations that are not central banks themselves are starting to ruffle their feathers against European or against worldwide central banks. I'm seeing in this particular piece a split occur between people like Jamie Dimon and Christine Lagarde. And maybe the split will be so bad that they don't want to go to parties together. That would be the very best thing for the world right now, other than stitching back together the American and, and the American family as well as families across the West because we've all been affected. But I am seeing a clear division here. Now, will the division last? I don't know. I hope so. I really do. And I hope it gets I hope it gets to the point where retail banking and central banking literally go to fucking war with each other. Who will win? I don't know. I'm actually, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for, for uh, retail banks. Banking the way it used to be. The banking the way that it was meant to be. We're on our third central bank, I think, in the United States. Maybe the fourth. I, but I'm pretty sure that the Federal Reserve is the third central bank that the United States has seen since its inception after the war of 1776, right? So, well, actually, that wasn't really when the war was, but that was the Declaration of Independence. Then we fought, you know, the Revolutionary War, and then almost fucking immediately, assholes wanted a central bank, and no, that was not going to happen. And then Hamilton fought for it, and, and Hamilton just kept on going and going and going, and Jefferson was basically just giving him the finger and said no, and destroyed the first one when it came up, and then a whole bunch of people destroyed a second one when it came up, and here we are with the Federal Reserve because it, they're just never going to fucking quit. And it should have been the banks at that time that said no, but they were able to push through the Federal Reserve because of banking problems and runs on banks and banks not having enough money. They got themselves, the retail sector got themselves into a whole can of worms with fractional reserve and it allowed them to be basically corralled by central banks. In this particular case, I kind of see a rift forming between major central banks and the retail banking sector. And I hope it continues. I really, really do. We really actually do need this. Now, turning it off, and on again has no place in decentralized systems. <clears throat> BTC Times, we're going to talk about Solana, I think. Yosef Tetek is, uh, got it for BTC Times. The classic IT panacea of turning it off and on again, popularized by the 2006 show The IT Crowd, was recently tried on Solana, a supposedly decentralized smart contract platform, to be fair. Solana validators didn't turn off the network per se. It halted all by itself. The halting happened due to a flood of transactions made possible by Solana, not having any practical block size limit and no real fee market as a result. On September the 14th, Solana was hit with hundreds of thousands of transactions per second, causing its nodes to run out of memory and shut down for 20 hours. The validators then restarted the network in a coordinated effort with little impact on the network's token price or its ongoing function. The Solana case is a prime example of the dangers of prioritizing base layer throughput over decentralization. What makes this event especially frustrating is the fact that the solution for spam attacks of this sort has been applied in Bitcoin since 2010, when Satoshi implemented a one megabyte block size limit. Moreover, the arguments in favor of limited base layer throughput with a scalable second layer on top of it have been widely known since at least 2017 block size wars. The trivial problem has a trivial solution, but implementing that solution would destroy the network's value proposition. The usual defense given in defense of upstart blockchain platforms is to point out that some obstacles are to be expected in the early days, and this is often accompanied by recounting the fact that Bitcoin also had its fair share of its own problems in the beginning. And indeed, this is true for Bitcoin. In August of 2010, an overflow bug allowed 184 billion Bitcoin to be created, followed by Satoshi's patch that was quickly adopted by the network. Later, in 2013, an incompatibility between a newer and older version of the Bitcoin Core client caused the network to split 
a serious problem which was resolved by mining pools quickly downgrading their software. Both problems could be fixed quickly thanks to Bitcoin having a small set of stakeholders at that time caused by the relative obscurity of Bitcoin, not its centralizing design. The problems with the likes of Solana is that they aim for complexity and high throughput on the base layer, opening up a Pandora's box of future problems. These in turn call for quick fixes that need to be centrally coordinated. Complexity and centralization come hand in hand. Bitcoin had its fair share of problems, even though it was quite simple at its base layer. It had a grace period of several years of relative obscurity during which it could solve these issues. Solana, on the other hand, is a VC-backed multi-billion dollar project of a complexity that greatly surpasses Bitcoin's protocol. To believe such a project can become decentralized after overcoming its growing pains is naive. There is no grace period and the unforeseen problems won't diminish as the platform gains in popularity. The only way for such projects to survive is to become more centralized with time. So the smart contract proponents may argue that decentralization isn't as crucial to projects that don't compete with Bitcoin's value proposition of becoming a non-state money. But then the question to ask is why even bother with a distributed ledger architecture? The true innovation of Bitcoin is to do away with central points of failure, taking its cue from preceding attempts such as Liberty Gold or Eagle, or sorry, Liberty Dollar or Eagle, both of which were shut down by the government. If a network has no need for censorship resistance, it could be run as a cloud-based service, but such a solution wouldn't attract the same VC and retail interest as the blockchain moniker lures in. The true motivation behind smart contract platforms that choose fast-paced innovation over decentralization. So yeah, we've been saying it for years, but this is a good one. You can't tell people that you're just going to turn the network off and turn it back on again and garner trust. The only reason that Solana isn't like well, you know, hovering well around $0 right now is because the absolute hubris of the human spirit at this point, thinking that you're just going to get rich because other people got rich. There's nothing to believe in here at all, except the price. You know, with Bitcoin, it's different. Some people just believe in the price, but most of the people that I know that are in Bitcoin, yeah, we joke about number go up technology, but we look at the base layer and the fact that this thing is just stupid simple and say, this is it. This is the way to go. Let's run the numbers. Take a look at CNBC futures and commodities. Flammable liquid seem to be uh, lit today. Get it? Flammable lit. Okay, never mind. Oil, West Texas Intermediate, up 1.5% to $71.59. Brent North Sea, likewise, up 1.4%, $75.39 a barrel. Natural gas is up a quarter of a point. But apparently natural gas has been kind of walked all over for the last couple of days because it's it was at like five dollars and eighteen cents a thousand cubic foot. It's now down to four dollars and eighty one cents per thousand. Gasoline is uh, up one point two one percent to two dollars and thirteen cents a gallon. These are futures, by the way. So if you're paying five seventy five, yes, I, a gallon. Yeah, I, I know. I get it, dude. I'm paying around $2.75 where I live. If you're in the uh, if you're listening to me and you're on the East Coast and you're driving your own car or if you're on the West Coast which more more likely you're driving your own car and you're looking at me wanting to kill me for that, it's not my fault, dude. I live in Texas. We have a lot of oil and gas production around here and basically all the refineries are on the Texas coast. So I'm real close. I'm real close to the spigots of production. I, I guess it's sort of the Cantillon effect. I don't know. Gold, however, is not making Peter Schiff happy. 1775, that is down 0.17%. Silver is up a half a percent, uh, $22.72. Platinum is up damn near two points. Copper is up well over two points. And palladium is shooting to the moon $3, not $3, 3.59%. All the agricultural futures are up. Uh, coffee is up a full 2%. Sugar is up 1.5%. Uh, 
The only thing that's down in ag today is rough rice. And I'm not sure what rough rice is. I guess that means it hasn't been hulled and put into a bag for Uncle Ben's. Racist. Dow futures is up 0.57%. S&P futures up 0.5%. NASDAQ futures up 0.3%. S&P mini is up 0.5%. Or yeah, no, half a percent, I guess I should say. I don't, guys, it's early in the morning, dude. Give me a break. Real money as it at $42,150. Yeah, we saw like a hell, there was some hell of some downward price movement yesterday. And I'm, I'm assuming it was all Evergrande based. I'm not exactly sure about that, but that would be my guess. Um, hold on. It could get worse, might get better, but I've been around the block a few times. Chances are good. We're going to revisit. I'm, I'm going to call it 37.5, somewhere around there. And we'll I'm thinking that we'd bounce off of that and then probably reconsolidate for a little while and then start going back up so that <clears throat> we can do 48,000 all over again. The days of the 58,000 HODL gang. God, I miss those days. 260,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is about 11,000 transactions on average every hour with 1.2 million being sent again of Bitcoin around the horn in the last 24 hours. And uh, the average cent per hour is 50,390 BTC with an average transaction value of 4.6 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.019 BTC or about 800 bucks. Apparently we've lost some mining. 11 minutes and 26 seconds all of a sudden is the block time. 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 15 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And indeed, a 12.5% loss in hash rate brings us all the way back down to 124.5 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 0.21 United States dollars or 21 United States pennies, which haven't been made of copper since I don't know when. There are 1,131 transactions waiting on one block to clear. We have a $793.3 billion market cap, which is now down to 6.81% of gold's entire market cap. And we may now only purchase 23.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are. 18,822,879.00 in circulation. 2,753 of those, however, are locked up in the Lightning Network with a capacity value of $116 million with 15,488 nodes running 71,780 payment channels that we know about. 73.3% of those are run over the Tor Network. <clears throat> That's right. Almost a full three quarters of the Lightning Network is run over Tor. And I'm all honestly surprised that I can see anything here, but I am looking at 10,077 Tor nodes that are containing 2,018.73 BTC, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Pundits say crashing floor prices and sell volume signal that the NFT market has died. Uh, I need obituary music to be able to fire off for stuff like this. No, no, NFTs have not died. Does that mean that I like NFTs? Not really. Not 99.99% of NFTs are designed to do one thing, one thing only, and that's take your money and not give you anything of value in return. NFTs and video games and stuff like that right now, to me, seem to be the only thing that make any sense whatsoever. Because why? As I've said it before, the NFT has to have a utility. Whether or not you believe video games have any value on this planet at all is beside the point. Why? Well, because it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And esports is probably going to replace the NFL and NBA quickly with revenue. I'm saying, just saying, man, I'm just looking at, I'm looking at the writing on the wall, dude. It's not that I want it to happen, although I, I could give a shit less about NFL, NBA. <clears throat> I do like college football, though. So don't get me wrong. It's not that I hate sports. I just hate what sports have become. But, you know, I'm a purist, so no, no, no. 
NFTs have their place. They really do. But the utility has to be very well-defined. And the only place that I can see them as being well-defined is in a video game. All the rest, for right now, I can't think of a single use case where there's real tangible utility to an NFT. But I want to be clear here. The NFT market has not died. Okay, you know how I know? Because I went through the ICO market and we all thought that had died. No, <laughs> that was just stupid to think, wasn't it? Okay, well, Jordan Finseth tells us more from Cointelegraph. Non-fungible tokens dominated crypto and mainstream media headlines all throughout 2021 as investors who held CryptoPunks and other projects minted prior to 2018 were finally rewarded for their patience. Meanwhile, newer projects like the Bored Ape Yacht Club and Art Blocks Curated saw some of their rare pieces sell for millions. Despite the million-dollar sales for <clears throat> select one-of-a-kind NFTs and the record-breaking sell volumes on marketplaces like OpenSea, data shows that a majority of the lower-priced NFTs and lesser-known projects in the market do not accrue value, and this means that the sector is rather illiquid. Using data from OpenSea, a recent report from Bloomberg found that 73.1% of NFT assets had only one transaction in the past 90 days. <laughs> the data is concerning. Okay, I got to stop. I, I got to stop and just make the statement. This is reading exactly like the story of the first stories of the death of ICOs after the 2017 run-up and all that bullshit. It's like reading the exact same story all over again. I shall continue. The data is concerning given that investors looking to buy NFTs on average pay well above $100 to mint a new NFT and cover the gas needed to transfer the asset. <clears throat> it, in comments to Bloomberg, Gother Zuppinger, the COO of Non-Fungible, said that maybe 90% of collections minted today are totally useless and meaningless. <laughs> Regarding successful NFT investing, Zupinger said, quote, 99% is about being in the right circle, having the right information at the right time. In the NFT space, you live with this constant frustration that you have missed a chance to make $1 billion. <laughs> Further evidence that the NFT sector has cooled off significantly from its August highs can be found in the number of sales being transacted on marketplaces. According to data from Non-Fungible, the number of daily sales across all NFT marketplaces has declined from a high of 138,109 on August the 30th to 42,372 on September the 21st. A similar chart pattern is seen across multiple NFT marketplace metrics, including the dollar value of sales completed, active market wallets, primary market sales, secondary market sales, unique buyers, and unique sellers. These market developments caught the attention of podcast host and Twitter user Dennis Porter, who thinks the latest data coming out of the NFT space suggests that the NFT market has died. Quote, as I've been predicting, despite getting intense backlash from everyone, including Bitcoiners, the NFT market has died. Average price of NFTs have dropped by over 99%. Liquid death has come. Sorry, not sorry for calling this market a scam. Pump and dump completed, Dennis Porter. For the activity that is still occurring in the market, the most actively traded 3% of collections accounted for 97% of all dollar volume, according to Bloomberg, suggesting that the NFT market is behaving a lot like the wider altcoin market, where a small percentage of the tokens receive a majority of the trading volume. Overall, these developments suggest that the most recent bull cycle for the NFT sector could be coming to an end and that it could take some time before the liquidity in the NFT market sees a meaningful increase, especially with the recent downturn in the wider market. Yeah, so I'm not the only one that sees the parallels to the altcoin market after 2017. Good. I thought I'm, I'm like, I was like, I'm not that smart. I can't possibly have gotten this right. No, I'm, I'm, I know I'm right on this one. This is NFTs are just the new ICOs and NFTs will rise again. They will. However, the only ones that are going to hang around are the ones that have some kind of utility, i.e. the sword, the plus five slayer of brains watt in some video game. You know, right? You know, something that can write, you know, the, you know, write its own history or something like that, like uh, in infinite fleet from what I understand the plan there is that the ships will be, you know, will be NFTs, but they will basically, they'll have the history of the battles that they engage in written into the NFT 
um, <clears throat> and it will be there forever. So if you buy a ship from somebody who's been playing for a couple of years, you won't even be, you won't only be buying the ship and, and the way it looks and, and the, you know, the stuff that it has, you'll be buying its history. So if, you know, one, you know, one player tries to sell their ship and there's no written history, i.e. the guy never participated, the guy never played the game and just wants to sell his NFT ship for a shit ton of money, probably not going to get a whole lot for it, especially in comparison to the dude that played every day and was in pre-alpha, alpha, and had all this history written in as to what sectors he's been in and what engagements and all that stuff, it's going to be a little bit more valuable, even though it's complete vanity. However, the fact that you have a ship that you are able to trade and it does work and shoots missiles and it is a gunship and looks cool and gives you pleasure playing it, there's a utility there. There's no utility. I mean, I'm not going to be looking at a rare Pepe or a cyberpunk and look at it and go, oh, I feel so much better now. No, but if I'm playing a game and I have like bought a ship, you know, you know, as an NFT from somebody else. And I'm like, wow, this guy's had a lot of history. Maybe I can help write some more history. And I don't know. See, the thing about it is, is that there's at least a chance to do something there. And there's the ability to play a video game. And a lot of, you know, the reason I played video games is that I enjoyed them and they're relaxing sometimes. So there's utility here. However, the rest of it is bullshit. So when the rise of NFTs come back up, I guarantee you that the only ones that stick, two things, the rise, the, the next rise of NFTs will be video game related and they will be much more sticky than ether rocks. I just guarantee it. So now what are we, uh, oh, let's do the naked mole rat news. Coinbase to propose crypto regulations to United States officials, say sources. Nicholas Day has it for Coindesk.com. Crypto exchange Coinbase is preparing to pitch a proposed regulatory framework to the feds. Jesus, it's like Brian Armstrong hates Bitcoin so much. I can't understand it. The exchange plans to publicly roll out this proposal in the coming days, according to sources familiar with the regulatory discussions. Details of the proposal were not available at press time, <clears throat> Excuse me, but among other matters, <clears throat> the company intends to argue what should and should not be defined as a security within the United States. When reached by Coindesk, a Coinbase spokesperson declined to comment. The news comes after Coinbase announced it was ceasing plans to offer a crypto lending product, which the SEC said would violate securities law. Earlier this month, Coinbase Chief Legal Officer Paul Gruel and CEO Naked Molerat revealed that the SEC had sent a Wells notice to the exchange, which said the regulator would sue Coinbase should its lend product launch. The SEC cited two Supreme Court precedents, the Howie and Reeves cases, in arguing that Lind appeared to violate securities law. While Coinbase did not publish the Wells notice, <clears throat> legal experts told Coindesk the regulator might be comparing Lind to stocks or certificates of interest, which are securities under the SEC purview. Coinbase has a long history of trying to fuck Bitcoin. Oh, I'm sorry. I spelled uh, create frameworks wrong and tools to standardize how exchanges approach crypto listings and products, at least within the U.S. The exchange was a founding member of the Crypto Rating Council, a 2019 effort <clears throat> that sought to create a common understanding of how closely any given cryptocurrency resembled a security. I remember this. And totally forgot about it. The group rated a cryptocurrency between one and five, with a one referring to something that is definitely not a security, such as Bitcoin, and a five referring to something that did appear to be a security. The CRC published its approach and a scorecard that projects uh, that projects could use for self-evaluation last year. Coinbase also published an open source technical framework last year for crypto developer projects that adopted the framework could ensure that their cryptocurrencies would be compatible with Coinbase's listing and trading technical backend should the exchange approve these cryptocurrencies on its platform. So Naked Mole Rat, Brian Armstrong, going to the feds and working with them. Yeah, like that's not, that, that's not good. Does Bitcoin care? No, Bitcoin doesn't give a shit, okay? But if you are something other than Bitcoin, you, you've always had to worry. Right. If you're holding a bag of anything but Bitcoin, you have to worry too. If you're a developer of Solana, you're going to have to worry. Why? Because you have offices. 
You know, if you're the if you're the head dude, you're gonna sit on the stand and you're gonna spill your guts as to who all your peeps are because you're paying them. So you get all that payroll information and uh, the feds will be able to go knock on. Hello, I'm knocking on your door so that I can just basically haul your ass away for securities violation of a coder that can probably barely speak English. But since the long, since the United States reach is long when it comes to securities violation, we can apparently pluck people out of their homes in fucking Bangladesh and throw them to rot in a prison here in the United States because they dared, they dared do anything at all. So I don't know, man. It's just, it's just the whole thing is weird. I, I, I still maintain that the United States government has weaponized its citizenry as financial weapons against the rest of the world so that they can have a reason to go over into another country and do shit and reach for things. <clears throat> let's see here. Uh, what do we want to do? Oh, let's do, well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Fluffy Pony is out of jail. Although he's only out on bail, apparently. Coindesk has it. <clears throat> Ricardo Fluffy Pony Spagni has been released by a U.S. court and is actively working on a return to South Africa. Well, let's read. It's not long. Let's read it. Um, Ricardo Spagni, also known as Fluffy Pony, has been released and actively working with his lawyers to return to his home country of South Africa. Coindesk confirmed Spagny was released. The release provides Spagny some freedom, at least temporarily, while he attempts to address the matter and put it behind him once and for all. According to court documents filed on Tuesday, the U.S. had not received the required documents from the South African government by this week's deadline, and as such, Spagny has been allowed to take up residence in the Middle District of Tennessee. <laughs> Spagny must also appear in court as required and must surrender as directed if ordered to be extradited to South Africa, the filing further states. The former Monero maintainer was arrested in Nashville, Tennessee on July the 20th at the request of South African authorities and charged for crimes unrelated to the crypto industry. A regional court in Cape Town oversaw charges against Spagny that included fraud, but did not hear his testimony as he failed to appear in court despite previously pleading not guilty. It was alleged Spagny had stolen roughly $100,000 from his employer, Cape Cookies. Following his arrest in the United States, Spagny hired Brian Klein, a leading crypto trial attorney, to fight his extradition to South Africa. And, oh, he goes into the, this goes into the history of, of uh, Fluffy Pony. We don't need that. But if, you're, if you were wondering what had happened to Fluffy Pony, he, he, maybe he'll start tweeting again. I don't know. <clears throat> Even though he's the lead maintainer of Monero for a while, I always kind of liked Fluffy Pony. Good sense of humor. Seemed like a good guy, but you know, you, you can do what with that what you want. XRP lawsuit <clears throat> Ripple's appeal in the pre-clearance data dispute has been denied. The latest, oh, by the way, this is CoinGape and I have oh, it's Palak Malhotra writing it. Yeah, I know. I, I butchered it. Whatever. The latest update in the XRP lawsuit saw the court deny Ripple's motion to compel SEC to produce documents reflecting the SEC's trading preclearance decisions of SEC employees' transactions in Bitcoin, Ether, or XRP, as well as annual certifications concerning SEC employees' XRP holdings. What does that mean? That means that Ripple is so incensed by being sued by the SEC that they wanted the SEC to disclose, disclose to them what employees of the SEC have been trading in cryptocurrencies. <laughs> like the SEC was going to comply. <laughs> okay. In its opposition, the SEC has already argued that Ripple's request has a, quote, low bar of relevance and is an unjustified intrusion into SEC's employees' sensitive financials. <clears throat> Ripple argued against SEC's Privacy Act claims, stating that the defense only seeks aggregate and entirely anonymized data of narrow scope and of a limited time frame. Ripple ascertains in its response that their motion to compel discovery possesses no Privacy Act obstacle to the court ordering production of this information. So basically, Ripple is like they're reaching for straws at this point. They want to be able to look into this, quote, anonymized and aggregate data and say, but your guys are doing it. Your guys have Ripple. Your guys are, are, are dabbling in securities. How come you're not going after them? Huh? How come you're going after us? This is what's called how to how to state this. This is kind of what's called crying like a little bitch. 
I'm so sick of the ripple crap. It's not even funny. Brad Garlinghouse is here for one purpose. He's, he was put here for one purpose, and that was to take your money. And if he took your money, then job well done, I suppose. I don't know. Stay away from anything but Bitcoin. Yeah, financial advice. I don't give a shit at this point. Uh, asset managers Galaxy Digital and Invesco have teamed up to submit a joint application for a Bitcoin exchange traded fund backed by the actual underlying asset. This is out of Decrypt and written by Andrew Asmakov. <clears throat> a Bitcoin ETF is a publicly traded investment vehicle designed to track the value of the leading cryptocurrency with shares in the fund trading on a traditional stock exchange. In essence, Bitcoin ETFs would give investors exposure to Bitcoin without the hassle and purchase of purchasing and storing the actual asset. I'm gonna end it right fucking there. How the hell is it that much of a hassle? I've got DCA set up with Swan. I've got DCA set up with Square. I'm probably gonna end up with DCA set up from, from uh, Strike. I, this is ridiculous. You don't need an ETF to get exposure to Bitcoin. And no, it's not a hassle. Okay, storing it is a mental hassle, not because it's hard, but because you worry. I get that. But somebody somewhere is going to have to worry about the storage. If it's not the ETF fund manager, then it's whoever is housing the Bitcoin on behalf of the ETF fund manager. And if it's not exactly the, the, you know, the CEO of that housing company, then somebody somewhere is sitting around with a ledger going, Christ, what if I lose it? What if I lose the seed phrase? Somebody somewhere is worried about custodying the Bitcoin. It might as well be you. At least that way, the whole goddamn thing stops with you. And you don't have to worry about somebody worrying, about somebody else worrying, about somebody else worrying if they hired a fucking intern that knows their ass from a hole in the ground to be able to custody your shit for you. Custody the Bitcoin yourself because if you're not doing it, somebody else is. And as we always say, not your keys, not your coins. Bitcoin mining estimated to represent 0.9%. That is 0.9% of global carbon emission in 2030, Martin Young tells us just a bit more out of Cointelegraph. A new study from the New York digital investment group NYDIG has projected that Bitcoin's energy consumption will remain below 0.5% of global <clears throat> total over the next decade. NYDIG published its Bitcoin Net Zero research paper this month, finding that Bitcoin's energy consumption and carbon emissions will not skyrocket in the coming years, even if prices do. The study, penned by Castle Island Ventures partner Nick Carter and NYDIG founder Ross Stevens, discussed how the network's carbon emission or network's carbon emissions <clears throat> may change in the future depending on fluctuations in Bitcoin's price, mining difficulty, and energy consumption. The study's most aggressive outlook found that Bitcoin's emission would still represent a tiny fraction of the global total, even if the price of BTC went through the roof by the year 2030, concluding, quote, even in our most aggressive high price scenario in which Bitcoin reaches $10 trillion of market cap by 2030, its emissions output or amount to only 0.9% of the world's total and its energy outlay is just 0.4% of the global total, end quote. The report projects the future growth of Bitcoin mining based on data from 2020. The researchers calculated the historical electrical consumption of Bitcoin miners as a function of the network hash rate and machine efficiency. So there you go. We're not going to be boiling the oceans anytime soon, people. Good freaking good heavens. Although after this, maybe we will. Helen Parts tells us from Cointelegraph that Bitcoin miner Genesis Digital Assets has raised $431 million. Uh, good God. Genesis Digital has secured $431 million in funding to expand its industrial-scale mining operations in the United States and the Nordic nations. The new funding round was led by Paradigm, one of the biggest cryptocurrency investment companies backing major industry players like Coinbase and FTX. Paradigm co-founder Matt Huang has also joined Genesis Digital's board of directors, <clears throat> the firm announced on September the 21st. 
Other investors include the $11 billion asset manager Stone Ridge and its Bitcoin subsidiary NYDIG and several venture capital firms and investment management firms like Rabbit or rather Ribbit, Electric Capital, Skybridge and Kingsway Capital and FTX Crypto Exchange. Kingsway previously led a $125 million equity funding round for Genesis in July of 2021. Genesis Digital CEO and co-founder Marco Strang noted that the new funds will help the company continue expanding operations with a goal to reach 1.4 gigawatts in mining capacity by 2023. Quote, the capital raised from this round will be used to expand our Bitcoin mining operations in locations where clean energy is easily accessible, he added. So there you go. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, finishing off episode 481 of Bitcoin, and we have Dad Says Jokes. When my wife told me that the Prime Minister of Canada got reelected, I thought she was lying. It's Trudeau. (laughs) Gotta admit, that's actually pretty good. No, I cannot believe, well, okay, yes, I fully expected uh, Trudeau to be reelected. I can't, what I can't believe about that is that I fully expected Trudeau to be elected after the shit that he's pulled. I, you know, you could, you could say, well, it was, it was election fraud. I don't, it's not that I don't think so. It could very well have been election fraud, but I think that even without election, you know, if it was purely organic, it doesn't surprise me with the amount of fucking sheeple walking around right now in the world. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll say something that's just absolutely shocking here. Maybe the sheeple are the one, like if you, if you, if you're the ones that resist all this crap and you get yourself out of the cities and you get yourself, you know, as well insulated from the bullshit that's going on as possible. And that means getting into a very small town or just moving the hell out into rural, the rural county areas, because they're going to concentrate all of their power on the cities. You will be, you are an afterthought. Now, if everything works well and they consolidate power and all that kind of shit, they very well could come after you. But here's the shocking part of of what I'll say. Maybe all the people that just refuse to leave the cities that are corralled into the goddamn death camps and get fucking gassed, maybe their stupidity allows them to, you know, for me to say that they deserved it. I know that's horrible, isn't it? But I'm getting to a point where I'm so disgusted with the stupidity that I see that I, I'm just like, if it were to happen, it would be an absolute, if a genocide like that were to happen, I would be sick to my stomach. But I would also be remembering that this is Darwinism. Life is not pleasant. And it is not here to put a pacifier in your mouth. It's ugly, it's brutal, and it has been since well before the human species graced the presence of the shores. It's always been this way. It's always been brutal. There's always been at one point or another, a lightning flash in, you know, in a a prairie somewhere that caused a hundred thousand Buffalo to stampede. And they didn't realize that they were running over the edge of a cliff until it was way too late. And the mass amounts of death that occurred there would be applicable to what we might actually see here. I don't know if they're going to do it or not. I really don't. I don't want a tinfoil hat it, but all indications to me look like this is just really bad and that people keep electing the people that don't like them because they think that they do or something, but the sheeple are going to be slaughtered at one point or another, and you need to be well away from the slaughterhouses. Whether they slaughter them financially, whether they slaughter them medically, whether they, whether they slaughter them mentally, I don't know. I know that we've had an onslaught against us mentally in, 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 in the medical you know, world for quite a while. I'm just waiting for them to say, you know what, just gas them physically and throw their bodies in a hole. Because we are so close to that at this point. And it's sad. I don't want to be here. I never wanted to be here. And I didn't see it coming, you know, 10 years ago, but other people did. I.e., God, I hate to say it, I had to put, you know, a dollar in Alex Jones's tip jar because motherfucker's been right more often, way more often than he's been wrong. You know, humanities, not sure about. Some of the other stuff, 
honestly, he's actually been mostly right about, and it's weird. But be that as it may, we have other fish to fry here. Uh, again, if you want to support the show, and I hope that you do, because I really like doing this and I really wanted to get better. And after 481 episodes, I think it's time to unlock the beast. If I could work on this shit 10, 12 hours a day, I would be able to bring a completely different type, different type of show. It would still contain news, but there would be more to it. Not longer, but just more refined you know, maybe some skits. I don't know, but I, I don't have time to be able to do the refinement that I need, that I think that I need to do with you guys help. I would be able to do that. So I set up a Patreon and that Patreon you can find at where the hell did it go? I lost it. No, that's not it. Oh, it is in fact, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast forward slash Bitcoin and podcast, all one word. And if you would like to, please go and support the show that way. I didn't want to do a Patreon because I really want to get away from fiat, but we are in this interstitial phase of Bitcoin where many of us have one foot in Bitcoin and we have one foot in fiat. We are desperately trying to pull our other foot out of fiat but that world, we've lived in it for so long that, that it's, gonna, it's like quicksand. And we are, it's not that we've got one foot in the fiat world. What really is going on, we've got one foot in Bitcoin, and we are balls deep on the other leg into fiat because that's where we grew up in, and it's like quicksand. To pull out of that is going to take a hell of a lot of doing. So because of that, I've had requests of people saying, look, I'm not ready for lightning. I'm not ready to stream sats. I want to support you. Could you please do something in fiat, even though we know what we're asking you is, is against sort of your religion. So I've done it. Okay. I've, I've, I've finally gone ahead and done it. Um, I do appreciate the support. Um, I will try to figure out other way, other mechanisms that are more Bitcoin based for support. But right now this helps. And if it helps, then I'm going to do it. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.